At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. Welcome to the Feather and Fur segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. Join me, Brad Hurlibus, as we sit around the campfire with this week's special guest to talk hunting, dogs, traditions, and all things outdoors. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of the Feather and Fur Podcast. Of course, Brad Hillibus, your host for tonight. Tonight, we have Upland, Arizona on, which is going to be a great trio of guys from Arizona, obviously, hunting the birds. But before that, last week, we had Steve Schaefer, my good buddy, grouse hunting friend on. Phone was dying. We didn't give him a chance to do any shout outs. So I want to give you his Instagram page. So that way there, if you listened to the show last week, you can look him up. If you didn't, you can go back listen to the show, and then look them up. So it is Whiskey Life, which is W-I-S-C-Y underscore L-I-F-E. Check them out. Show them a little love. And let's get started here. We'll bring the guys in. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having Absol- us, Brad. Absolutely. So we got Tress, Josh, and Jimmy on. It's, it's three of them out of Arizona here. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to have you guys on because I know nothing about hunting Arizona, so I'm really excited to pick your guys' brain on it. Absolutely. Yeah. We're glad to be here. I mean, coming from Wisconsin, like looking at Arizona, like looking at like the different country, and I've been there before, like the desert, the high country, like it's like, whoa, I'm used to that. But before but before we get into there, let's let's talk about like how you guys got started hunting. Like let's go back to when you like did you start when you were kids? Did you start as adults? Did you take it on yourself? Like like where'd you start? Like what what got you into what drives us all outdoors? All right, go ahead, Josh. Uh, so I started, and it's been I was probably in fourth or fifth grade, and I lived in Arkansas, and I um. I was hunting squirrels. I was hunting all kinds of small game, including bob whites there. And then right. it was a lot of fun. I didn't have a dog. I just, I mean, you'd just see them. You'd see the bob whites running around, and um, and you'd see turkey and white-tailed deer and squirrels of wildlife. And then uh, moved 
to Arizona when I was in eighth grade and um, started hunting the gambles quail. And back then when I was hunting them, you didn't even need a dog. You'd just drive down the dirt roads and you'd see the quail running across the dirt roads. And so, so we just... So was the population that high then, or was there just that much less pressure? I think it was a little bit of both. Like right. the, the population was a lot higher then. We were getting better rains. And I don't think as many people were hunting them like they are today. Um, I, I just remember driving in some of the areas that I drive today, and the numbers were a lot higher back then. And, sure. um, and yeah, you, you just see the coveys or a covey run across the road and you'd park the truck and head out after them and get a few and then drive in the truck a little bit further, a couple of miles down the road and see another covey. So it was a lot of fun. And then when I got the, the bird dogs, it just took it to a whole nother level. It was it's so much fun. It, it's something amazing that the dog brings in. I mean, the dog changes the entire aspect when it comes to bird hunting. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome, man. I like the fact you got after it young and you kind of grew up doing it. That's great. Like, but I got to ask, when you were in Arkansas, like, do you ever get after the timber ducks, man? Like, that's a truly bucket list hunt for me is timber ducks down south Arkansas. You know what's cool? So we had 55 acres down there, and I took it for granted, but I remember seeing every year, certain times of the year, I'd see the flock of geese flying over as well as um, – we'd get wood ducks that'd come and jump on our ponds. And right. I, those things were very wildly, like they were very skittish. You had to really sneak in on the pond and they, they had good vision. And by the time I tried to jump up, they were gone. And there's always usually just a pair. So you'd see the, right. the drake and the hen. But yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. But I never really got into upland or uh, wild, waterfowl hunting there. But sure. was, there was plenty of them there. Oh yeah, that, it's it's a bucket list hunt. It's it's up there on my list. I mean, there's a couple bucket list hunts, and that one's on it for sure. That that, that will happen one day. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go next? I mean, you got out. I mean, uh, I'll go. I, I grew up in uh, northern New Mexico, uh, just north of Santa Fe. Um, started hunting really in my backyard, studied wild rabbits. I saw some quail here and there. Um, but my dad and my cousin, my uncles were all big game hunters, so I'd go with them often. All um, right. I didn't get my own tags until I was a little late, older in life. Uh, well, 17, 16, 17. Um, did, you take a, did you take a break in there for a little bit? Like, did you stop no, going with, or did you just... No, I went with them the whole time, but I never right. got my own tag, um, only because I was always in trouble. That's what they would take away from me when, got my, it. Gra when my grades were terrible. So they'd be like, oh, sure. you can't, you're not getting a tag this year. So Got it. I did it to myself. Um, Sorry to bring up the bad that. memories, man. I no, apologize. no, it's, it's all good. It's, <laughs> it's what made me. So it's all right. Um, so I grew up big game hunting. And then not till um, I moved out here to Arizona did I start getting to upland hunting. Uh, all right. I dropped, the, I dropped the big game hunting mostly because I didn't know where to hunt out here. The rules were sure. different, the regulations were different. So I really stopped hunting for a little bit. Um, when I was on my birthday, probably about 10, 11 years ago, um, my my chocolate lab died on my birthday. Ooh. And she was, into my, she was my fishing buddy. We'd go fishing all the time. All right. um, we didn't hunt. 
but after that, we decided that we wanted another dog. Um, didn't want to, I didn't know what breed to get. I didn't want another lab because the labs are pretty big. I love the dogs. Don't work. Don't. Yeah. I love, I love labs. I just decided I wanted to. I got a lot of love for a lab, man. That's, yeah. This weekend is the one year anniversary of mine passing. We're going to go spread some ashes back at the campground. So I got a lot of love for a lab. But no, I get it. I mean, there's so many other dog breeds out there. There might be one that's better for you, better for your hunting style. I no longer have a lab. I have a wired hair Griffon, but right. I get it, man. But I still got that love for my lab. I, mean, I love labs, but just not not this point in my life. Right, right. So, um, so I started looking for uh, different breeds of dogs that are kind of similar to a lab, and somehow I ended up uh, finding Britneys. Okay, and. Uh, we we bought a started a two and a half year old Brittany, and that forced me to start hunting. I mean, he was sure. trained. He's my pet, and he's our house dog. But I was like, you know what? Let's start start quail hunting. Right. Um, so that's that's how I got in. Is it's been on like it's it's been crazy since then. But I I get it. I get the fact of like a dog driving you to like change what you do and how you hunt too. Because like my lab. I was total waterfall obsessed when I got him. Lab, duck dog, lab, duck dog, right? Yeah. He was super high strong. And you could get him steady. He was steady in a blind. Not as steady as I, as I would like, but it was steady in a blind where he, but in the woods for grouse and woodcock, he was an animal. Like, he was phenomenal. Like, he was so aggressive and so hard charging, yet would stay in range. Like, he was one of those special dogs, but I'm really, really nervous that he's going to be that one dog in my life where it's like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you have that, everyone says you get that one dog. And I'm, and if he would be it, that's great. But I'm really hoping at 38 that I, I get one more wow dog. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I, I completely feel, get I feel like, that way with, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I was going to say, I completely feel that, like, I completely get that where you bought a started dog and you're like, hey, I might as well do what this dog is really good at. So let's, let's just get up in the uplands. Yep. I get yeah, it. Yeah, you are saying about that once-in-a-lifetime dog, Blake, my younger, my younger Brittany, I worry that he's going to be that one because I haven't done him any justice. Like, he... <laughs> He is bred well. He is hard nosed. He is nose is just phenomenal, and he is strung tight when he's out there and chasing birds. He loves it. And as far as my lack of training skills for myself, um, I, I hope I didn't sell him short on that. Um, ah, all people, all trainers give themselves a hard time. So there's always it's so easy to judge yourself based on other dogs. But you've never actually hunted over or seen in person, but you see these amazing hunt test videos or this or that. And there's some phenomenal dogs out there, but I think a lot of people who train their own dogs that take it seriously and use like different like tools and like NAVDA and all these other things to like help them succeed. I think we're all way too hard on ourselves for the most part. Yeah, probably. And I also think we have a very jaded view of everyone like, oh, that dog is perfect when odds are all you saw was it's one perfect run in its life and not the hundreds of times it made the same wrong and didn't do it right. I mean, right. Because we see it all. Because if, especially if we're the one training the dog, we, we see every mistake. We see every success. We see all the failures. We have all the pride, all the joy, and all the letdown because we're the ones hands-on, right? Yeah. Yep. So 
don't be so hard on yourself, man. I mean, if you're thinking that's a once in a lifetime dog, I mean, you gotta be doing something right if that's your first thoughts already. It's your younger one. Yeah, he's he's four, and I mean, we'll see, we'll see. He's fun. <laughs> he ta he he takes he pushes me, he pushes me for sure. Yeah, it makes it makes you go a couple extra miles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big running hard charge of Brittany. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> he scares he's scary sometimes. How far he goes, I'm like, uh ah. when he was younger now now he's calmed down a lot. But the first couple years were Yeah. Well over the horizon. Oh yeah. One hill, two hill, I can't see the third hill. <laughs> yeah. How am I gonna tell my family I'm not bringing the dog back? Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I've had that thought before. Not with my dog, but the guy I had on last week, my grouse hunting buddy, like from 12th year grouse camp this year, his dog is deaf. He's got a deaf English English setter. So oh, we I hunt over it. Yeah. Yep. So we hunt over her and like he's got a train, but you'll see there's times when that dog is like, I don't know where to look to find you, even though you're buzzing my collar. And right. she gets turned around like, like there was one time she started running the wrong way. I'm like, and like, I can only imagine what his heart did because my heart stopped. And I looked at my lab. I'm like, you have no idea what I'm saying. And I'm trying to like, go get her. Go get her. And she wouldn't because he didn't know what I wanted. I never trained her to go rescue a dog, right? That's not in my training protocol. I like, right. hey, go fetch up that dog. No, that wasn't in there. <laughs> like, I'm trying to send him back through the woods. And he gets a bird sent. He's like, oh, bird, that's what you wanted. I'm like, no, Ember, running the wrong way. <laughs> but I can only imagine what he felt. And she got figured out. But, I mean, I know that feeling of like, I can't imagine not coming home with my dog. Whoa. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's I'm a big I'm a big fan of GPS collars these days. There's, there's, oh, they're amazing. I love they're having amazing. that I love having that long leash on them. Yep. Yes. So well, yeah, how about you, my, Mr. Oh, that was my story. Alright. How about you, Mr. Jenny? How'd you get into this all? How'd you join this crazy world? I kinda started back east. I was in, I was from Pennsylvania. And uh, we left there. My dad moved us out to Arizona when I was 10. But right at that age, all the neighbor kids were starting to turkey hunt. I got a, I got a year and a half old Brittany pup that loves making me do stuff right now. But, hey, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, when we moved out here, uh, my dad was a big hunter back there. And uh, we just started, you know, they. it wasn't right when I was 10. I had to earn it a little bit. So probably about 12. I started just going out, me and my cousin and my dad and uh, his partner, his, uh, you know, he had a machine shop and his machine shop partner, the four of us would go out and uh, started with small game. And then we put in for the deer draws and I hunted uh, deer and elk when I was a kid, never shot anything. Shoot. I hunted probably six or seven tags before I filled one at age 30, you know, uh, being right. drawn for big game, but uh, you know, that's what, um, that's what kind of, uh, when I think of my happy times as my childhood, it's out there in the woods with my dad and, uh, just stomping around. That was before we had a, a lab at the house. That was a, you know, a house dog. It never went, but I went into the military and, uh, stopped hunting for a couple of years, you know, right. At, I tried college a couple of years and still hunted during that. And then I went to the military and was actually stationed in New Mexico also. I met my lovely, uh, lovely wife up in, uh, in the military and her dad was a hunter and I started, uh, hunting, uh, in Lordsburg, New Mexico, kind of the, what would you say? Southwest trace. 
by the southwest New Mexico with him, shooting some scalies and some gambles down there. And then uh, I always wanted my own lab. So when I, when we got out of the military, I bought my first lab and did just you know basically labs are the easiest. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, I can say, you just teach them to retrieve. They love to do that, you know. If you can keep them in the area, they're naturally going to hunt for Oh, yeah. I mean, you get a hard – I mean, you get a lab with a strong retrieve drive, you can teach them anything. I mean, you don't need another reward. That retrieve is such a great reward. I mean, and they're such a forgiving dog to train, too. Like, you can have kind of a bad day and be maybe a little too aggressive or a little too much pressure on your training method and – 30 seconds later, their tail's wagging, they're licking your face like, it's okay, don't feel bad, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so I had that, and, and then I was hunting by myself. I really got my lab because I, I really couldn't get anybody to go out hunt with me at that, that point. You know, I moved back here, and we bought our house, so I uh, hunted a lot of gambles with her. And then my father-in-law, about every other year, we started going to Nebraska. They were, he was in the military also, and he had been stationed in Nebraska. When the, when the his kids were younger, so me, him, and my brother-in-law, we'd go to Nebraska and hunt hunt pheasants. So we took my lab along, and uh, we did her there probably four or five years, and she was the only dog. And then uh, probably about the third time, he was always talking about Britneys. He had Britneys. They had Britneys growing up. So I had actually seen a guy running a German short hair in a lab together, a single guy in, in a field. We were parked up above watching them and it was just awesome seeing that gsp out in front of them and in that lab you know 30 yards or 20 yards in front of them just hunting close and i just fell in that love with that uh that option so to speak so to speak there so i uh uh, came home and (coughs) excuse me found a found a litter of brits and i bought two i bought uh, a female for myself and i bought my father-in-law a male he was actually stationed in Mississippi at that time. So I think he paid more for the plane ticket to get this dog back to Mississippi than I did for the dog. But, um, yeah, that was my first one. She's now retired. She's 13, uh, in death, but she's just an old lady. She's, she, she hangs out at the house. And I, uh, since then, I'm enjoying that. Enjoying those retirement years, man. You got to give her that occasional treat and the cheeseburgers and the biscuits and everything else. Yeah, she's living the life. She she doesn't like this pup too awful much. I mean, they're all over each other. But I got so I'm running. I hunt three dogs, and then I have uh, the old retired one. I have a nine year old Brittany, a six year old Yellow Lab that I run, and then now I got a year and a half old Brit. And we take the nine year olds. Got one more good year in them. Well, he might have more than that, but he's starting to get old. So uh, I put in for late deer and elk hunts which we didn't get drawn for i'm going to nebraska either opening week or as soon as i get the word that they cut corn and sure i'm gonna take him on his that's where his first hunt was in nebraska and uh, i'll make sure he has at least one of his last ones up there and then he'll he'll hunt part-time he'll go to part-time retirement and i'll run my my lab and my my year and a half old brit with trace and josh and sure 
that's what I love it, man. And the, the training, uh, you know, we, we mostly, we, we got people that help us out, but you know, I, I train them all myself. And the first Brit was my first pointer. It, she was her, I mean, it was just natural for her. She wasn't great. The second one's a little bit better. This third one, um, she is tremendous. You know, I think she's going to be great, better breeding. You know, we started looking into bloodlines and sure ability there and uh she uh she's uh right up there with trace maybe and i'm hoping that it's my patience that got her that way also and we can keep on pressing on uh with a little more, more dogs a little more experience with training kind of seeing some of the pitfalls some of the successes i mean it all it all adds up right i mean every as much as we watch our dogs grow i mean as much as we teach them they're teaching us i mean I mean, I've, everyone's heard that in the dog training world, but I've learned more from my dog than I think I've taught it. Oh, and my thing is, is anything wrong with that dog? I, I, I did that, you know, there's right. the dog was flawless before I touched it, you know? So, uh, and, and, but yeah, she's, she's going to be terrific. My lab, I love running that lab. That lab does real well at retrieving and staying fairly close and that bread will get out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. She hunted one year in the first half of this last year was, sight hunting and chasing butterflies and just <laughs> as far as they could go but towards the end she she started turning it on and had sure. a couple good points and it was good so yeah, it's always real, real natural that, that's that's always exciting to watch i mean like 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 trace just had a real natural dog i mean it's just really exciting to watch that puppy start to go like transition from oh my god the whole world is so exciting to that focus like where they're starting to bring that focus in and they're like I'm out here to find these birds. And then you get that first real point, not a sight point, not like a false point, like that first real point where it's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then like everything like for you is like, oh my God, she's doing what I taught her to do or he's doing yeah. what I taught her to do. And it's just a great little like harmony. Like that start, like, I mean, that, that's the building blocks of what we all do. Yeah. I love it when they flip the switch, she flipped the switch and now she knows. And now you can really correct it. Well, one thing I did learn about the Brits is they are, super soft like like you said like you can be a little bit more i mean you can just raise your voice at those brits and and and, and it, there's no need to do anything more than that with with them they seem to be a lot softer than than your blockheaded lab and stuff like sure that. so it's, it's different but luckily i'm older and more patient you know i mean you just grow you grow i've grown as a man and uh hopefully you know i can give these guys the best life and again like like trey said it's my duty to get them out. That's what they love to do. They right. live for that. That's what I can't drag my butt out of the bed at, on a weekend at five in the morning. I, I'm going to do it just to get them out and just hike, walk with them if that's what it takes. I mean, that's a big reason why I don't big game hunt. I mean, the archery hunting in Wisconsin's got long traditions. I, I'm i a late onset hunter. I took up hunting at, my, at myself. I think I was 22 at that time. No one in my family hunted. I was renting a farmhouse with a friend, and there was just ducks and geese piling in the field, which I'm like, all right, well, let's start with, I call the farmer up. I'm like, hey, can I have permission to hunt your field? I don't care. Okay, let's go get hunter safety taken care of, and let's go hunt this field. So we like we started waterfowl hunting, and then my father-in-law now, is a he's a big deer hunter. He doesn't do anything else, but that waterfall drive drove me to, like, upland hunting, and it's all about the dog for me. Like, I enjoy – Okay, like I've settled down enough now being older that I can sit in a tree stand and actually be patient enough and actually truly enjoy the experience. 
but I'd much rather be hunting behind my dog anytime I do any any opportunity Absolutely. I have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I'd quail hunt without a dog. Actually, I know I wouldn't quail hunt without a dog. Yeah, I, I don't really think I would either. I yeah, wouldn't have the same. I wouldn't bird hunt without a dog. I mean, if I've lost my dog and I wasn't able to get one for a period of time, I'd go to start big game hunting. As much as I love bird hunting, I just can't envision doing that without a dog. That's so integral to the entire experience. And I've said, I've talked about this before on my shows, but to me, it's all about the experience. It really is. Like, it's not about limits. It's not about dead bird. I mean, it's about the entire hunt and the experience and the emotions of it, everything. And if I don't have that dog aspect, that's like, 80 percent of the reason i'm out there if not more like without right. that it's kind of like okay if i want to walk right. through the woods i might as well go for a hike yeah. <laughs> why carry a shotgun i was just extra weight right yep so let's look what's the difference like dog training like i know like you run like big like well i guess let's let's talk about arizona let's go let's back it up even a further step let's like, what's the coverage you guys are hunting? Like, you're talking about quail, and you've named three kinds of quail. Like, how many kinds of quail do you have, and what type of habitat are they in? Uh, we have three huntable quail. Okay. Uh, gambles, the typical top-knot quail that everyone sees. Uh, we got the scaled quail and also merns. Um, gambles are down here in the lower desert. Uh, Scale quail are a little bit higher elevation, and merns are like at what four or five thousand feet up. Yeah, five thousand. Yeah, five thousand feet. So, um, yeah, There's those some, are the three huntable birds we got. Don't, okay. Don't, don't they have some pockets of uh, California quail you were telling me about, Trace? There are they some do. pockets of California quail, and also we have uh, the masked bob white, which is uh, endangered species. Um, okay in just one little area of Arizona. So you actually have five species then there. Like, so are they all a breeding population then? No, five species with four four huntable species, the mass bob whites on the endangered. Got it. Right. But they're still, they're still a breeding population. Like does, does the DNR like do anything for like planting quail or anything like that? Or is this all wild yeah. producing birds? All wild, wild producing. Okay. Yep. So our pheasant program in Wisconsin, which I don't hunt it because I think it's a waste of time personally, but it's all planted birds. Right. I mean, because the pheasant, because we just don't, the habitat's been lost for so long. And the, with the change in farming practices and not having that tall cut corn to give habitat in the winter and farmer, and, and nothing against farmers, I support them 100%, but like farming practices have just changed where it's taken some of that habitat away and then the housing boom and everything, there just isn't enough habitat for a breedable breeding population anymore without some serious focused efforts and we just don't have it right i think a lot of but pennsylvania is like that too i still got family back there and they plant birds out there and they, they ditch ditch on them most of the time like, yep. that's fine that's great but it's it's a lot different with the wild birds like you're saying you know you get the the south dakota for pheasant or you know like we do nebraska but kansas all those are supposed to be phenomenal destinations for wild birds that's what we oh absolutely from wild pheasants and like northern wisconsin northern michigan northern minnesota is all like great destinations for woodcock and grouse and those are all wild i mean absolutely i mean so 
you have the five types of quail, four are huntable. Do you have any other upland species up there that you chase, like in the high mountains? Like, do you get any like blue grouse or sage grouse or like any of those? We have uh, yeah, we small get... uh, areas right. of blue grouse. All right. Yep. We also have a chucker up by the Grand Canyon. Okay. And there's a, a small population of uh, dusky or blue grouse up there as well. But yeah, um, chucker and, and grouse. Oh, you got you got like a whole like kind of like melting plot of birds. I like it. Like you kind of like depending on which way you want to go, you almost can chase something different. Yeah, it's it's not. They got pheasant down south, right down toward Juma. They got. You're yeah, right. Yeah. They got a pheasant population down there, huntable, but it's almost like a big game. You got to draw a tag, and they give you two rooster pheasant tag. You know, sure. During a, during a period, which I mean still a population that you can hunt down here if, you, if that's what you really want to do that's crazy i, I didn't realize there were pheasants that far south like i, I had no idea on that one i, I forget they're down there too I, I always think of pheasant as like a midwest bird i really do like your dakotas your north dakotas your south dakotas which was the capital forever and then i always got a good prop population and like as you said nebraska and kansas are known for for it as well and i never would have put arizona on my radar to like Go for pheasant ever. Yeah, yeah. It will never I be on anyone's radar out here. <laughs> I won't hunt them. <laughs> so what? I mean, we've talked like, so you have quail in the southern part, then quail at five thousand feet. Like, what's the terrain differences? Like, are you like, what's what are you dealing with with terrain with between yourself and your dogs? So no. in the 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 <laughs> desert, <laughs> the desert quail, you're down in the low desert cactus. Um, a lot more cactus, a lot more rock, um, a lot more thorns, you know, prickly pear, saguaro cactuses, things like that, that those kind of challenges. And then when you get up to the scaled quail, you're kind of more in a like grassland, but there is a few choya cactus out there, but it's more like rolling grassland is what it reminds me of. And then you go from there up into where the Mearns quail are, which is there's grassland, but there's also... There, there's quite a few oak trees where they hang out, and they, it's a lot steeper canyons, and and um, it's not as rugged as I would say as uh, Gamble's Quail Country, but it, there's very um, steeper canyons and, and a lot more trees, and that so it makes your shooting lanes a lot harder when you're shooting in those sure. trees. So like when you're hunting Gamble's, because that's low country, right? So yeah, low country. All right. So, are like, are you guys booting dogs? Are you like forceps for like all like they have to run in the right occasional cactus, right, or cacti or whatever you got cat plural, whatever. Um, so I'm like, are you guys booting dogs and like like desert makes me think snakes. Like, what are you guys doing to like help with all that? Like, how are you getting ready, like, or preparing your dogs for it? And what do you bring with you, like, for those situations when you're hunting this low country rugged terrain for like Mern's quail? Well, for the gambles quail is gambles. In the low sorry, color. gambles. Yeah. No, you're good. <laughs> I'll keep uh, up eventually. Probably not. <laughs> the, the, for me personally, I do boot my dogs. I know some guys don't. I use Lewis dog boots. Um, they're very rugged and they can handle a good chunk of the um, rough terrain. You will occasionally get thorns, long prickly pear thorns that make it through those boots. Sure. Um, and then, uh, but at the end of the day, at the end of the hunt, 
your dog's going to still have some thorns you'll have to go pick through. The other tough one that you don't really want to grab is the choya. And um, so what I carry with me is just a cheap comb and I can get using that cheap hair comb, just flick off the uh, pieces of choya right off the dog. So you don't have to worry about that. So like just a regular human hair comb is what you're rolling? Yeah. yeah have you, because, so have you, go ahead. you used any of like the metal combs actually meant for dog grooming? Have you seen those? It's yeah, like a I have nice, because that's what I like with having a wired hair and burrs. That is my favorite too. That and a Mars coat cane. I mean, that's right there too. But that comb, I have one in my dog training bag. I have one in my dog grooming bag. I have one in my Upland vest. <laughs> like that metal comb is like a lifesaver because I've had my dog come out of a thicket chasing woodcock with so many burrs in her eyes and in her beard and on her face, she can't see. Like she literally cannot see and she's just coming to the sound of my voice at that point because all of her hair is just a solid burr, gra like burr, like hair mat. And it's terrible. And I, right. and I, I take the time right there and clean it out so she can see. Well, not 100%. I'll just kind of clump back to its sides to give her some vision until we get going again. And we'll take care of the rest of the truck because Cowboy Magic is also another really great tool with the wired hair. But interesting that you get like just like you can just flip those out with a plastic hole. Like you don't need any yep. like strength behind it. No, it needs to have a little bit of stability, but not not much. Just interesting. So you don't have to like rip them out or tear them out. They just they just kind of just get hung up in the hair then, or are they actually in the skin? Oh no, they go in the skin. They're in the skin. But they're not they're not barbed as much like like you would think of like uh, porcupine needles or anything. They just you can flip them out and they stay pretty clumped up together. Like, okay. It doesn't lose its needles. It's like a whole ball. Like fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You know, plant vegetation with a whole bunch of needles on it just pops out, but... Got it. So like a whole bunch, like the base of it almost, the, the base kind of stays with it as well. Yep. That makes sense. Like from just like a plant repopulation standpoint yeah. too, because all the seeds and, go with it. I get it now. And we carry our needle nose pliers um, also because needles will get stuck in and you got to go in there and um, sure. pull them out of the dog or your friend's butt. Depending. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to worry about those needles burrowing in? Like, is that a concern? Like up here, like we have foxtail grass that can get stuck in a dog and burrow like to the point where it's lethal, where they'll burrow all the way through the skin, into the blood steam, into the heart. Like it's a legitimate deal because it's a thorn barb. Well, it's not a thorn barb, but it's a, it's a grass on that's barbed that doesn't like to go backwards. So it works through the skin. Like, right. like, do you have any of that issue, like, with your cacti out there? Like, is that the same thing where you have to, like, get them out within a certain amount of time where they'll keep burrowing in, or? No, I don't think so. I, don't think I, think, I mean, like all right. Well, Man, that sounds nicer. Like, you'll, you'll get the dog that'll try to pull it out from its, you know, it'll reach back and try to pull its own stuff out, and its mouth will be completely bloody, and you just get in there and get what you can, and that acid in their mouth dissolves sure. a good portion of it. Correct, Trace? Josh, don't you agree so. that? I mean, you get what you can, and the dog presses on versus those foxtails. Yeah, those foxtails are, are super bad. Uh, oh, they're nasty. And we run into a little bit of that stuff out here, but but 
real cautious on that. The other, like, what I would say is all of our pups, we almost don't get all of our pups snake trained, like you said. Uh, uh, an initial time where you take them to a trainer and and get it get it get it snake trained, and then you bring it back about a year later and uh, get a refresher trainer on it. Just and that's just uh, so we can hunt before the real freeze. I mean, we're you know the hunting season will start, and you know if you don't do that. Like, I won't hunt dove in September. It's just too hot, too snaky. Versus, sure. Uh, once once the real upland gets going, you know, I like to be there. I like to get out there and do it as much as I can, but it's not worth, you know, that that's our protection right there. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I used to take them out right at the very beginning of the season, but I saw, I didn't see a lot of rattlesnakes, but I did see snakes, and that let me know that there were snakes out. So I've been recently just wait until it starts cooling off where i know the snakes are lethargic they're not going to be doing much you know you still have a chance of getting your dog uh, your dog getting bit by a snake but it goes way down come december sure right. hibernation oh I mean, like you guys are talking like see that's just crazy for me to even wrap my head around like you guys are talking about december like my season's ending in december <laughs> and yours is finally getting cool enough to hunt your dog so like how long like when does your season start like does different quails start at different time depending on area and then like go through different times like depending obviously on areas that like season specific are there region specific seasons i guess is what i'm saying no we got uh gambles and scalies um start in october yeah mid-october mid-october and then end uh in february and then march right. starts in december um and, Mar and it ends the same time as scaly and gambles do so it's got a shorter it. season. But you got them, Paul. If you hunt that warmer season, if you don't wait that late, I mean, you got five solid months of hunting almost. Oh, absolutely. So, not to mention, if you want to go grouse hunting in September, I mean, there's that. So, we got a, a lot of hunting north, to do. It's, a, it's cooler up there, so. Yeah. Sure. Do you have, like, so, like, with us with grouse hunting, our season starts mid September, but mid September is terrible. Not even with like the heat and the bugs, that's all garbage, but we have too many leaves on the tree. Like it's so hard to actually get shooting opportunities because all the leaves are on the trees, all the ferns are up. Like you like do you have those issues like when you hunt early? Like are you waiting for foliage to like fall at all? Or is it kind of like the same country all year round? No, are you talking grouse or quail? All that man. We're, uh, we're, uh, we're talking Arizona. Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think grouse I don't know if any of us have too much experience as far as um, worrying about the foliage and stuff like that. We're just sure. going there to try it out. Um, as far as the gambles, it's it everything's low. Everything's low. Yeah. Everything stays the same. You're not worried about the trees because there's very few sure. peak trees or anything out there. If um, anything, we're waiting for the 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 blooms on the prickly pear, the prickly pear fruit. We'll look at the fruit on the cactus and you, you'll shoot quail that'll have completely purple, purple beaks. Their whole face will be purple because all they're doing is eating that fruit off of uh, the prickly pear, the prickly pear fruit, fruit off the, yeah. uh, off that. But as far as like, we're pretty much evergreen. The cactuses stay there. The mesquite trees stay green. So sure. um, our, the density we just watch out for is the density of a, the choya cactus. I mean, we. <laughs> you can watch a cubby run into a patch of choya, and, and you're like, we're not going in there because you'll spend way more time, 
you know, my lab was so smart, like she would walk behind me. No, I'm not going. You go first, and I'll, <laughs> I'll go ahead and follow you. So, I know what that stuff is. I'm staying out of there. You brought you blaze that trail there. Oh yeah, I yeah. Like I'll it. I'll think a dog is on point, and I'll go see if it's on point. And no, it's in cactus. It just stops. The dog does not move. He's like, like all right. So Come it's either me. on point or in a, a bunch of cactus. Come get me. Pick me up. I need help. Exactly. Yep. It, I like it, it. It's weird on how smart or how how well those dogs adapt. They'll know the different types of cactus. They'll stick their head completely in the the prickly pear, the elephant ear type cactus, because they don't they don't release their you know their thorns so much so to speak, versus getting into the choya or the you know the dead cactus that are falling down. They'll stop on that stuff, but you'll see our Britneys will damn near climb inside a after a, the a, after a bird and different type of cactus. And it's still to us, we're still getting poked all the time. But sure, they're crazy. So what do you guys run for gear then, Mike? What's your go-to like pant or like? Okay, we talk snakes. So are you guys like wearing rattlesnake boots or you wearing rattlesnake chaps? Like what? Like when you guys are hunting, like what's your go-to setup for like not only safety but the comfort and mobility? Um, I I just wear I just wear jeans, but I wear some chaps over top of them, and they're just some thin ones. I I bought rattlesnake ones. I have them. They're just uh, so thick. I mean, it's it's warm, man. Your pants sure. will be completely completely wet but i like the, just like the brush like a brush type guard chaps because I, I i'll blaze through a lot of scrub oak we got a lot more scrub oak and stuff like that that more like jaggers when we're hunting different places and then uh you know um we we, we dress in layers because you're gonna be peeling them off and uh sure you got i mean if you've never been like i've been to arizona a couple times but the temperature swings there blew my mind especially like in the desert area, like just how hot it got during the day and how cold it got at night. I could like, you have to dress in layers there. Like I don't see how you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We, we dress in layers and then we all, uh, you know, we're all about durable gear. I, I would say we're all about durable quality gear that we, that we run. And that's really kind of what we do it. That we're starting to do with Upland, Arizona is uh, find the, find gear that we like that we would run for for and we're not we're not sponsored by anybody or anything like that but right now we're all running um q5 um vests and uh they just give us multiple just they're super durable I'm, i think i'm on i've done five seasons of mine and i carry a ton of stuff and uh i'll, I'll you know i'll have it on this next season and they're just real uh, that that's the best piece of gear that I got, other than the uh, my train my GPS collar. Because before that, I, I mean, I've had dogs long enough where <clears throat> I was running the Upland beepers, and you know, uh, you know, so you're listening for that beep and shoot. Oh, sure. What do you think, Trace, probably three years ago, still I was still running a beeper, and I felt embarrassed because these guys are running GPS. It's not because of the call, just because my dog's so loud running by everybody beeping. <laughs> but it is coming from a lab to to a pointer that you know that it can run i'm kind of a control freak i want to know where they're at you know sure i really do so um but that's what i'm running really just uh the q5 vest and then tons of water and stuff like that what are you running josh um i do the q5 vest as well i 
been wearing jeans, but recently I bought a pair of these Orvis Upland pants, and they're Ooh, now you're talking my language. Super comfortable. I, I couldn't believe the difference how comfortable those those pants are. Breathable, and it's perfect for here in Arizona. Just having that comfort to go through a barbed wire fence and to walk around all day and not have any issues. Um, and then I, I also carry the Garmin GPS. That thing's been uh, absolutely well worth its its money to have that. Um, and then the rest is just lots of water. I bring sure. maybe a water bottle or so for me, but the rest of the water is for the dogs. Because, uh, you know, you never know if you're going to come to a stock tank and it's empty. And you just need to have keep them hydrated as much as possible. And the empty stock tanks have been happening a lot more lately. They have. So I'm assuming those aren't filled by water. Well, they're filled with water, obviously, but they're not filled by rain, the stock tanks. I'm assuming it's a well or a farmer pumping into them. No, it's, it's usually rain. Rainwater. Oh, really? All right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times we'll call them like trick tanks where they, they make like a catchment and they'll, they'll run it into a, a one and it just cascades into a, a okay. another type deal. But they call them trick tanks or, or stock tanks like that. Right. Okay. Interesting. Well, well, I run the Q5S also. Um, that thing is okay, handy. so I got hold on, like not to cut you off, I got to ask, so who bought the first Q5 and talked everyone into it? Who's the salesman? <laughs> Trace. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're right back to you. What, 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 what was what was the factor, man? What talked? What did it? Well, just the amount of stuff I was able to carry, how comfortable it was, how durable it was. I mean, um, my friend, they're uh, they're trainers, they're dog trainers, and they put when their dogs get tired, they put the dogs in the in the bag. I mean, that's that's and you don't feel it on your shoulders. All the weights on your hips, sure. which makes it an all day pack. Um, and does it help that I met the I I know the founder of Q5. So Dan and I Dan and I uh, became pretty good friends after a while. So um, that helped. I, I I've seen Dan. I've seen their vests. They look really really solid. It's not what I'm currently running, but they look like a super solid vest. They are. Brad, Dan I'm, did a Dan did a great job uh, building these. Brad, I'm pretty sure that I caused his great friendship because he showed showed it to me, and then I was like, I gotta get one. And then I bought five vests in one year. I bought three Christmas <laughs> gifts. Me, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law. I met Dan at the Quail Forever banquet, and I was like, Hey, you're Dan Priest. He's all, Yeah. I said, I'm your best customer you've had. He's all, What are you talking about? I said, I bought five vests this year. You know, I'm, I gotta be up there. And he's all, You might be my best customer right there. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, last year I went through a couple of different vests and they were on my list. But for me, that was just for you guys. It's great because like you carry so much gear. For me, in the grouse and the woodcock country, especially, I want a super small, super thin, low profile, ultra tight to me vest. Like I don't even bring an entire box of shells with me on a normal day. I mean, two water bottles because I mean, I'm normally not that far from the truck. I'm not going. Well, there's some spots I'm going miles in, but for the most part, we're able to like go like. I'll pick covers apart. So I think the Q5 looked like a solid vest, but for me, it just seemed a little too big. Right. So oh, I understand. Now, now that we're going to get into this, I guess um, we we're going to do a vest review. Uh, All right. We have we got our hands on uh, Q5 uh, rimfire. We got a hold of one of the Pike 
vest sure. man. Uh, yeah, we got a hold of uh, Chief Upland. Yep, that's Final Wisconsin rise. right there, man. That's me, yeah. Wisconsin. Final rise. Okay. I mean, so we've got so, a handful. Now, hold on, I'm going to back you up real quick because there's two vests I've had the past two years, and I didn't hear them on your list. So I had the Orvis Pro, which is a little too okay. big, but now I've got the Orvis Pro Light, which is a, right. amazing. Like for me, you got to try one of the Orvis, man. You got to figure out a way to get your hands on one. Like I, I want to see that in the review. Uh, right. I, I, you don't have to. I mean, whatever. Well, if but, you want to send me yours, that'd be cool. We can do that. <laughs> I, I already sent the I already sent the regular Pro back, which would be on you because I didn't, see that's like I'm not sponsored by Orvis at all. No way. Right. Nowhere near. I ran that vest for a year. I didn't like it. They took it back. Yeah. Like, that's solid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's some of the best customer service I've ever seen. They're no, awesome. I did buy another one from them right away. But I mean, right. that was just like the one thing I didn't, I couldn't get over is my shotgun mount with the shoulder strap is a little too big. But I'm not trying to carry as much weight as you guys. So rather than me trying to read, like figure out how to work around a thicker strap, I just don't want any straps. But I know I have to have them, so I just went with a thinner one. Sure, right. and and we I, I, we're, we're doing our reviews there, and we see some of those like, uh, yeah, that's a big big thing. Who is it? The uh, was it the uh, final rise? It has like the no, it's the uh, pipe. Sorry, the one that has like the seatbelt type material. That's, I believe that's, that's pipe. That's pipe. Yeah, pipe. pipe. Yeah. Man, those yeah. shoulder straps were amazing. I mean, they they just sit tight against your shoulder, and that, terrific, man, and terrific. I will tell you, our, our review's not done yet, but there's not a bad vest out there. I mean, unless you're going to throw this up, like this episode doesn't, like it, it's airing a little at a later date because I'm actually a little ahead of schedule. Believe it or not, listeners, I'm ahead of schedule for once. Um, so unless this thing's, unless your rest review's going to be done like within the next month, don't spill any beans. We'll just point everybody to go like watch your watch your Instagram and Facebook and everything else. No, so. no, I won't, I won't say too much, but there's not a bad vest in any of them. Um, I sure. think we went with these because with with these different brands because they're not big big companies like Orvis. Um, right. You got all these starter companies that are out there, and not everybody. You can't go to a store and find these vests. This is right? true. So so we wanted to get a hold of, of these and tell everyone else how we thought felt about them, our thoughts on them, if if we're good. If we would use them, how, just just in general, just so they know that these are good products or not good products. Um, but like I said, they're all they're all pretty good. You just got to pick which one is best. Budget for you. and everything else, and yep, I I, right. I get it. I mean, everyone's got its own little de design features, right? Like the pipe gear. Like I looked hard at that one because I really like that seatbelt vest thing. Yeah. Um, I remember I looked hard at I, I looked hard at Q5. I looked at hard at a couple of their different vests. Um, I looked at Chief Upland. It was too vest for me. Like I, I've talked to the guy, super cool guy. I love the fact he's from Wisconsin. I support him as much as I can. But it, I, I'm a strap vest guy. I'm not a I'm not a traditional vest guy. That's not me. Right. Understood completely. But I mean that vest is really cool with all the Molly and that gets super adjustable. You can strap whatever you want to it and any accessory you can think of that's Molly based can go on that vest. That's that's an awesome idea. Yep. But it's just too vest. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, it man. I'm you know what? Like I think that. we we could say this here. It's probably too warm for us yeah. out here. We we want to be able to strip it down on and 
type deal. Yeah, I we agree. But it would be a great vest for uh, other locations, I'd say, too. Yeah. It'd be great. I mean, I think it's a great pheasant vest, like for the Dakotas or something. Like, and it's, it's a great vest if... Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You want something ultra customizable too. And I don't want to get too far in depth on just this one best. So. But I'm not, I'm not trying. I just want to make sure, like, no one out there is like, oh, you don't like cheap upland. It's nothing like that. I mean, it's just a personal preference for me. I like a strap. I like a super ultra tiny small strap vest that can hold a box of shells, my GPS transceiver for my dog trip pathfinder. My, I carry an IFAC with me and a small dog first aid kit because I want to, because I hunt so much solo. I like, I have a tourniquet, Israeli bandages. I have, um, quick clot. Like I have a, I have a true IFAC for myself personally. And then like a, a dog version as well. And then I carry enough water for the both of us. Right. And that's all I want. I don't want anything more than that. Like I'm not bringing extra clothes or anything like that. I have a spot to strap a jacket to if I have to strip down. But like I said, most of the time I'm going in like three miles coming back out and then I can get to my truck and then I can refill water bottles. I carry a five gallon Gatorade with me. I can add more shells and then I go and attack a different part of the same cover where I'm in. Right. So for me, I'm, I can almost base camp how I hunt daily. So I want a super small and what, where, what kind of mileage are you guys putting on a day? Probably eight to 10 us and the dogs at least three times that. Yeah, sure. I'd say eight miles each time we went out. And, and that's like when you leave the truck to when you get back, like you're not going in between like, cause I'll do eight to 10 miles throughout the day. The dog will do about two and a half times me, but we're back at the truck throughout those periods. Like you guys are just gone and then back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like that's something like, and, and at that point I want a big vest, right? Like I want to be able to carry like two, three, five gallons of water with me. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you like? Go ahead. No, no, no. I just agree. We more water the the better. I mean, that's got to be a huge concern for you guys, right? I mean, yeah. desert stocks. You can't rely on stock tanks. Like, how much water are you guys bringing on a hunt for? For an eight, like a standard after, like a standard day hunt. You guys do eight, ten miles. What? Do you, how much water are you bringing? I carry. I I'm usually running two dogs at a time, and I carry eight of those. What do they think? They're probably twenty ounces. 16 ounces. 16 oh, ounce water bottles. I carry oh, no. eight of those, and then two 12 ounce water bottles that are for me that are really the dog reserve. In sure. So we just really the pouch and it's full of water until the until you start filling it up with birds. I mean, so that's right. what I'm running. But we're we're real obviously when we hunt together. Any dog that comes over to us, you're hosing down. My dog, sure. Josh from trade. You know, we all just, we carry it for the dog. And heaven forbid, if you come and hunt with us, you're going to pack water. I mean, we're yeah, no. just going to load you up whether you want to or not. <laughs> yeah. if, you don't, if you don't have a dog, you're carrying all our water. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an extra couple for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Hey, water mule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
But no, it makes sense. I mean, like without water, you're dead. Like, well, like not dead, dead. But I mean, like you're done. Like, if you have a dog that gets super dehydrated, and you have a dog that starts to have heat stroke, I mean, it's a complete like. So you guys bring me glucose to like honey, peanut butter and honey sandwich or something. I always had on meat for early season hunting. Like, do you guys have that or glucose? Or like, I mean, heat stroke's got to be a big concern for you guys. Yeah, I don't know that it's that big a concern, but Trace got us hooked up with some supplements that we do. What's that? It's kinetic, um, kinetic. It's the hydration, the hydration 30k, I think is what it is. Um, that stuff works, and I will tell you, I've seen my dog come back because my dog, the younger one, does not like to come back to water too much. Sure. Um, and I've seen him at the end of the day, just he was peeing, it was brown, it scared the crap out of me, it, it did not look good. And I loaded him up with some of that, he finally started drinking it. and he perked right up. It cleared him up, and and yeah, I I would say it, it helped him a lot. I know Josh has had some experience with it too with his uh, with Ellie. Um, yeah, you can see it work, man. So I Definitely. mean, you guys are absolutely taking precautions, and because I mean, you guys have to be conscious of heat stroke. I mean, that's got. I mean, when we're talking about wearing vests that are light enough so you guys don't overheat, I mean, the dogs have to be. A, I mean, you can tell just talking. I mean, dogs are a huge concern. So, yeah, right. sometimes if I find a, like a stock tank, I'll just pick up the dog and put them in the stock tank to just cool them off. Sure. Um, you know, in the middle of the day and then just, we'll just sit there and just you got to take breaks. You can't just keep moving, keep moving. You got to stop and take breaks, sit down in the shade, let them cool off. Just kind of watch your dog and they'll, they'll let you know, okay, I need a rest for a little bit. Yeah. I'll do a lot of like, I'll, I'll like, uh, I'll, what do they call it? I'll float their food um, before, you know, before the hunt, like the night before. And, you know, I'm I'm draining, you know, I'm just soaking their food in water and forcing the water that way. Because none of them will drink when you get them out of the truck immediately. They want to go run, and then about five minutes later, they want to drink half the water you, you brought sure. in there. But the, the, my, the key that I do is just every time they come back, I give them a little shot, you know, just keep them from getting to that point where they start to dehydrate. And then uh, you'll know. The only problem is, is my my big lab. She she likes to drink, so half so mine. Goes on, <laughs> my my baby girl there. But uh, yeah, so I'll float their water, and then Trace all, Trace gives us the supplements. It's weird, like those, like my dogs, like they don't want to drink Gatorade. They just want water at all. But we uh, kind of um, not force it, but you know, we kind of make that available to them every bit. And that's all we need is some electrolytes in them and keep them watered. Sure. I, I get the whole, like, you say you don't force your dogs to drink, but, I mean, there's been plenty of times I've forced my dog to drink when I'm like, no. I don't care how birdie you are. It has been way too long. We are carrying way too much water still. Like, we've been out too long. You're going to drink, yeah. and I don't care if you start to choke. Oh, I do care, but I don't care because it's like, I'm going to shove this water down your throat. You're either going to choke or you're going to drink it. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I found that if I start spraying their neck and their chest, they'll start wanting water at that point. They'll be like, all right, that feels good. Let's drink. Sure. And I mean, it sounds like you guys do like you're big into training. So, I mean, you guys are what like your dogs are staying in shape year round and like, you, you probably run them during the heat. I mean, briefly, but I mean, that was a big thing I noticed in Wisconsin, at least like when summer comes, like there's a lot of people that don't run their dogs. There's a lot of people that don't train with their dogs. I'm sure there's plenty of Arizona too. So I don't want to just play Wisconsin, but right. I see like, like you get like 
a early like pheasant opens middle of october here and that's really where a lot of people hunt i'm not there but that's where a lot of people hunt with their dogs and some octobers here are like in the 80s i mean it just we get hot falls sometimes right and they haven't ran their dogs the dogs are half out of shape they don't know how to read their dogs for heat stroke and my ex-sister-in-law was a vet she's a vet she's an emergency surgeon vet is what she is she's like you wouldn't believe how many dogs i've seen for heat stroke for opening of hunting season because people don't know how to read their dogs or give them enough water and they're kind of out of shape so i mean that all goes into like what we're talking about with like conditioning your dogs as part of it yeah absolutely i think the worst thing i seen was about two years ago my brother and this wasn't opening season but he has a couple brits that are eight years old then and we we're running them just he brought them down let's take them out hunting she loves to hunt and she does and she hunts in nebraska with us I don't know the proper term, but she tore both of her front rotator cuffs, like her, her her shoulders, where it was the double surgery. And last year we brought her out, and you know, I for training like during the summer we do train, train. But uh, I'm lucky enough that I have a neighbor that has a pool. That oh, nice! To, and he likes to go up north to his retirement cabin. So for payment, I I clean the pool, and you know, I just take care of the pool. And he has English pointers, so he don't care about dogs enough. So I just swim the dogs every night. I just throw them in there, and you know. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I just kind of keep them. So I brought that dog down all last se- last summer, and swam her every day, and she was good to go for the. But it still ain't right, and you can tell that she had she she walks differently. But yeah, that's just unfortunately that's just poor stort chip on our part. Yep. For the dog and. After seeing that, it'll never happen to my dogs. You know, I mean, I can't say that, but I will. And and that could be slightly a fluke incident, right? I mean, like you don't know, like a hundred. But keeping our dogs can do it. Like it's a big deal. Like I mean, there's so many people, like unfortunately, like that I've seen too. Like like personally, that I know where they're like, oh, we haven't worked at all. We'll just go out hunt duck hunting, and the dogs put on, I don't know, an extra fifteen pounds, which for our dogs a lot, right? Right. And now you're expecting this dog to go out and do these hundred yard retreats. Yeah. When your dog's like like gasping for breath just trying to get in the boat. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, like when was the last time you ran your dog? Like when was the last time you ran? Right? Because <laughs> that's all that was in that conversation, right? Because I'm like, when was the last time wait a minute, when was the last time you even ran? I'm like, you got gotta get a belly, right? But right. I mean like kind of one of those soft sided jabs, like, man, your dog's health's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I spend months once it starts cooling down here. Summertime is shot. I mean, unless you're going up north, you're not running your dog, or unless you have a treadmill inside your house. Um, sure. Right now, like we, like we said earlier beforehand, it's 108 and humid. The dog, it, you don't want to do that to your dog. In the morning, no. if if you wake up at 4:30 in the morning, it's still 90 degrees. So there's really no training. Uh, for uh, for me, anyways, I, I don't run them in that. We, we um, go out about I don't know, Trace. About every other week, we'll go out and we go to a a trainer's place and we'll run them in the morning, like a Saturday morning, and we'll put them on a couple. You know, they'll get to do what one usually one one run short run, yeah, short run, forty five probably minutes about. And we'll have two or three planted birds out there, so we're getting constant work with them sure. that way. But it's not like a conditioning workout there. Exactly, and right, exactly. There's there's and even then, when you start at seven and you're done by ten, like not that dog, but like all the braces run by ten, there's still probably four different water 
tanks that they got out there for the dogs, every dog to be able to jump in yep. and, and, and they'll do that. But I mean, so we're still trying to keep them on birds, get them to sure. back and, and, and keep their, their, you know, keep the technique, keep everything that we instilled. So we don't just lose it for all summer long, like the kids going back to school and can't remember, right. you know, so we try to do that. And then, um, but yeah, like, that, that's where I'm kind of blessed where I actually, I get that pool this week and I'll start taking control of that. And then I'll just get the dogs in the pool for 45 minutes a day and try to keep them that way. And if you guys run a treadmill for your dogs, I heard you mention it. No, I haven't. I've thought about it, but my wife looks at me sideways. <laughs> no, see, I got a treadmill right next to me. I tried to get my dog on it. And mine's a rescue. I rescued her at six years old. So I didn't grow up like I didn't ever as a puppy to expose her to any of this. Right. And she's like, absolutely not. Am I running on that thing? Right. <laughs> it's the whole claws to the death thing. Like, nope. I'll tear right. a nail before I take a step. <laughs> I think they should do like a Peloton for dogs. Like have birds in front of them, like a screen, and maybe they'll get them a little excited. <laughs> See, you could go like cartoon style with a pigeon on a stick trying to fly away from it the whole time. Like, what, right. like maybe, like maybe not use a treadmill. What I don't know what they're called. The one where you like run, and the faster you run, the faster it spins. Like, there's no right. motor; it's just resistance. Yeah. Maybe I need one of those with a bird flying, like a literal like pigeon flapping in front of her. Maybe that'll get her going. <laughs> there you go. It'll be like sprint, sprint training rather than endurance. But hey, we'll build mm. some muscle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit boattrader.com to get started. Arizona, I mean, it's completely different. I mean, there's, I, I can't think, I mean, I, you kind of talked about a little bit of trees in the high country for grouse, which kind of like perks my interest, like for like grouse, like maybe there's a similarity, but I'm sure there's none. Like it's a completely different environment. What you guys are hunting and what I'm used to like right. desert cactus. You, yeah. You hear that. But then you talk about that merge country. They, everybody that like, when you hear people that have traveled and seen it compared to what Wyoming and Montana, like you could, you could lose yourself. It's, it's a completely different environment down there. You get All right. down there, it's it's amazingly uh, different, you know. <laughs> I, I, I like the desert birds, and I love hunting my, my gambles and my, all of them, you know. It's just great having the option of doing different stuff on any given weekend type deal. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – when people are cold up north, you know, up towards your area, and we're down here hunting in December and January and – we got to shed a layer off because it got a little too warm. It's pretty. It's pretty nice. I mean, uh, I mean, in, you're in January, some full leather boots and you're good to go. You know. I, yeah. I mean, in January, I'm normally sitting on eight inches of ice, chasing crappies and perch. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a bad way to do it. But, but yeah, I mean, takes me on the tail. I mean, it's definitely. I, 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 it's on my list. I mean, I've watched some different shows. I don't some different upland hunting shows one of them focused down in arizona and i don't remember what it was or what the show was but it, it like really piqued my interest and in like talking to you guys as well and in that later season it's like maybe one of these years i got to save a little bit of vacation but with my dog being 10 it's like it's not gonna do it it's not it's not right like i gotta wait a few years until i have a 
have a younger dog and we can like have some experience and like really go tackle some of these desk like these bucket list destinations I have. And Arizona's definitely on it because you can hunt three or four possibly different types of quail you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But I've never shot a quail in my life. Oh. Like I've never been quail hunting. So, I take that back. I take that back. I planted bob planted bob whites. If you want to call that hunting, planted bob whites for dog training. That that's my quail experience. <laughs> oh, and that's completely different than like these gambles and scalies. They are runners. With a planted bob white, that's not moving, right? No. No. <laughs> uh, these gambles and scalies run, 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 and, and when they get, they up, get pretty they, frustrating. They move, like, they move like teal. I mean, you're you're duck hunting, and you know how those little missile those wow. those teal come in. That's how those quail take off, man. They are, they are, once they blow out, they are moving too. And wide open country too. So it's got to be really hard to possibly, like, it's got to be a distance thing too to gauge your shot, right? Because there isn't much for a background to put a distance on there. That's my plan. That's why I can't shoot. There we go. We found it. <laughs> oh, you just found it, right? We like, found it. Thank you, Brad. Anything. I have no distance gauges, I have no reference points. <laughs> Is that 20 yards or 100? I don't know. Let's shoot. Yeah, I'm just shooting. <laughs> Most of the time I behind it. The so. time. I don't go out there to save bullets. I, I really don't. I, I didn't make that trip to, to save shotgun shells. So. He's unloading. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll, so what are you guys using for like 20 gauge? Yeah, I'm assuming you guys are like for the miles you're putting on, you're probably trying to carry pretty lightweight guns, right? Yeah. Um, well, definitely. I, I've been carrying a 20 gauge, but I just bought a 28 gauge. Um, see how it goes. Ooh, he's um, getting fancy with the low with the low gauge. Well, now I have something else to blame on that I can't shoot. So <laughs> less lead being thrown out there. Could have just went right to the 410 then, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I want to hit something every once in a while. Occasionally, you want that reward? I got it. Yeah. Well, exactly. it's not for so you. The dog, it's just, it's for the the dog. dog just gets mad at me when I miss. That, that's why if, if you can ask Trace, those dogs kind of generate towards me, but I'm shooting like a, a Ruger Red Label 12 gauge double barrel, so it's it weighs a ton, but that's not like as much pellets out there, so those dogs kind of like to <laughs> like stay by me because I'm the guy that actually I'll shoot a little bit more. Oh yeah, the dogs do gravitate towards Jimmy. That's awesome. Hey, this guy kills birds. You don't. I'm gonna go hunt. Yeah, him. exactly. <laughs> I need feathers in my mouth. I know this guy can make it happen. I love it. Right. <laughs> what about you, Josh? What are you shooting? I shoot a 20 gauge, a Beretta over and under 20 gauge. It's it's light. It's nice. And, yeah, it, I I don't shoot as well as I do with the 12 gauge. But, yeah, I still can bring some birds down. Yeah, Josh, Josh is being, Josh is being uh, very modest there. I've seen Josh shoot, and Josh is a good shot. Uh, he's really good with that 20, but. Uh, I'm still not switching. It might be his gun, but I'm still not switching. <laughs> Do you know, you know what I give this conversation? No one gave Trace any credit for his shooting abilities. That's all I, I heard. Just, right I here. was just thinking that. I was like, well. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to tell you this, but Trace ran his dog in a in a, in a a trial a couple weeks ago or a month ago, and he said, hey, I want to run the dog. You want to shoot for me? I said, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's all good. It's, it's, it's a mental thing now, man. It's like, I don't sure. want to shoot anymore. I don't want to, yeah, I don't mess with it. I don't want to mess it up for the dogs. I don't, you know, it's just fun. That's awesome, though. I mean, it's it's fun, right? At the end of the day, it's all good fun, all good humor. Like, 
that's that's the great part about hitting on but he's like i don't know you guys yet i'm gonna give you a little bit of a hard time you're gonna give me a little bit of but i mean it's all because they have that same camaraderie and it's really around the dog i mean you could say it's around the bird you could say it around, but at the end of the day we all share a common bond around our dogs is really what i drive it towards at least all hundred percent i mean we've all like got, we've all been there and watched that first point we got real lucky with uh i got two good buddies here that all run the same point and breeze which may be a little weird but shoot we're we're britney lovers and i'm the only guy i got a big lab like i said that she thinks she's a britney she, she really <laughs> does she's never been around another dog that's not been a britney so i'm pretty sure she, she thinks she's white and white and orange but yeah that's well, awesome my nephew my nephew had a britney we actually it was actually a rescue i'm somehow wound up in this weird phase where like all my hunting dogs have been rescue dogs i don't know how that worked out but um we actually drove to west virginia to pick them up and he, he hunted for a few years, hunted pretty well. And then as my nephew got older, you know, the college thing, dog got a little older, became more of a family dog. But I mean, it was an awesome dog to hunt behind. It was a great dog. Yeah. Yep. I, I dig, I dig him a lot. I mean, very uh, affectionate family great. dog. Yeah. She, they just can calm down and they do shut down a little bit. And at least mine shut down pretty good in the house. And, you know, and they're, they're, they're terrific. I, I love them. All. I like them a lot. That That's my go-to. But I can't give up my labs, though, still. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a pair of dogs for as long as I can. You know? Sure. And if you get a if you get a good whistle set down on a lab and like you make and you get a lab pretty steady, I mean, you can work a pointer in a lab together really, really effectively if you know how to do it. Yeah, and the e-caller helps me out now because that lab's pretty smart and she can notice she can identify a point and she'll, oh, that one's on point and she'll start heading over there because her job is to flush it and sure. it works great for my dogs now trace's dog is a little bit uh more steady to uh to to shot and i'm sure okay. it doesn't appreciate my my lab kind of bumping through it and hey let me go ahead and flush, flush this bird for you <laughs> but, but everybody's pretty tall remember? so it, it's good She's an amazing retriever, man. That that dog's got a nose on her, the, the lab. She's got a nose, and you'll drop a bird, or Jimmy will drop a bird far out. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that dog will go find her. I mean, when the Brits can't find a down bird, Libby will find it. It's it's amazing to watch that lab work. And, and it's, pretty, it's just cool, you know. Like I said, the e-collar, if I can hold her up until we can get in position, just, you know, talking to her and getting her there and when we're on the dog, it works out great for, for me. I love it. And, uh, like I said, these guys are real tolerant of my dog breaking protocol, you know, on, on point dogs, there's no back with her, you know, they're, you're not, sure. you can hold her back and then that's her job. She thinks that's her job. And then it's a race to the retrieve. So, but it, it's right. There's, right. There's no backing with a, it's like, why are you stopped? The bird's right here. I'm going in, like, get out of my way. <laughs> Yep. You should be running. What is wrong with you? Hello, there's a bird. <laughs> Are you scared of it? Why did you stop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. in. That's exactly how a lab is in my mind, right? Like, right. hello, what's wrong with you? It's my job. Get on my way. Oh, I'm sorry, you're in my way. I will push you. <laughs> you're blocking the only path. Here I come. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lab for sure. Pretty much. Just that big goofy personality that's like, I can do no wrong. Right. Well, 
let's let's tell everyone how to get a hold of you guys. I mean, you're Upland Arizona. Let's let's. I mean, we didn't touch much on that, but let's give us a quick rundown on what Upland Arizona is and how they can find you. Well, um, right now we're on Instagram at Upland Arizona. Uh, it's just the three of us taking pictures, sharing our experiences, sharing our thoughts, um, and it's just for fun. That that's what it's all about. Um, that's yeah, for like me, anyways. How about you guys? No, absolutely. A couple of years ago, Trace started us a website and said, hey, this is just going to be a dumping ground for me, you, and Josh to dump our pictures because we don't hunt together every time. We'll hunt together probably two, three times a year at, at least, you know, but mm-hmm. last year I think I went out 23 times, you know, just because I like to track stuff like that, which dogs went out and where, you know, stuff like that. But, sure. And and we'll hunt together three, three to six times a year, but really this is just for us. We dumped it made a little dump station uh, to, to drop our photos in, and then we all just commented on it. And then Trace got us on the Instagram, and that's way better. Now we can see like-minded people and like-minded people and uh, every everything. Hey, we turn. Oh, drop him. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. I might lose Jimmy. This was a running joke before we started, everyone. I mean, <laughs> is Jimmy there? Is Jimmy gone? Is Jimmy, oh, Jimmy's still there. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we've uh, just for the record, we've got one of these uh, shark vacuums, the automatic vacuums, and we are on number three. Uh, <laughs> this is our third attempt at it, and uh, that's what was was going on there. So uh, sorry. About that. <laughs> got it. Um, yeah. Um, I lost it. Sorry. <laughs> nope, you're good. You're just talking Upland, Arizona, and the, the website being a dumping ground because you guys don't hunt together as much as you as you. I mean, I get it. I mean, you're a group of friends, and you try to get out two, three, solid, four, five as much as you can, but it's hard to get together, right? It is. Right. right. Everyone's got their own jobs, yep. their own lives, their own schedules. So you, like, I get it. Like, you made the website just to, like, here, let's throw all our pictures together, and let's, like, like. We're all friends. We're all pals. Let's collaborate. Let's like, right. let's chase that social media stuff, right? Yeah, and the social media was like a second thought. We were just doing right. that website just just for us. And then, I don't know what got me thinking. I was like, you know what? Let's try Instagram. See, you know, what people think. Because I'm not a social media person. I don't have Facebook. I just started the Instagram thing. Um, but, man, it's opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. That's a lot of people out there. A lot of different stuff I want to experience now as far as where to hunt, different birds. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's it's for us. At the end of the day, Upland, Arizona is for us just to have fun. And, and I really like the direction we're moving where we're, we're doing gear reviews. And the gear reviews is just for, the, 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 it's for us, you know, the normal guys. Hey, this is what's available for us. It, it opens, you know, for until he opened my eyes on a different type of vest, I was still running – just the normal vest that, you know, the old vest that we get from whatever, Walmart or wherever. Sure. And it didn't didn't understand the whole deal. I mean, we're running high tech, you know, and everything's kind of going better. You know, we are getting the Lewis dog boots. We're getting the, the Garmin Instinct wash to go with our, our, sure. our Garmin. And that's probably the best thing I had last year, being able to look down and see the dogs instead of flip up my transmitter and when you're running multiple dogs and then, the Q5 vest and all the vests we're doing now. The and and we're just putting our thoughts on them. They no one's paying us. No one's giving us anything for it. And it's 
hey, if you're the normal guy, this is what we're paying for it. This is what we think. And uh, it's good stuff, you know? See, and that's awesome. And that's hard to find these days. It really is. It's hard to find non-biased paid for reviews. Right. It really is. I agree. And I'm shocked that people even want to hear from us. Um, <laughs> like when you when you said you wanted to interview us and have us on the podcast, I was like, all right, let's do this. I mean, that's fun. I don't know why you want us, but we'll do it. <laughs> and then, uh, we got another um, podcast interview in two weeks, I think. Well, there you go. And, was this your first cover? Asked, yeah, you are you are first, Brad. Oh, there we go. There we go. I'm down with history. Arizona's first podcast. You'll have to we'll have to bring you back on like in three years when you guys are like big time collaborators and be like, hey, remember me back here? <laughs> I, I Brad, I think I'll still have problems with this phone, this this communication stuff here. But hey, we'll we'll give it a shot. Three years might have it worked out. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. I like it. But no, it's great that you guys are like doing it on your own. Like you're buying your own gear. You're testing it out. You're like, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. You're willing to just put like buy quality gear and and put it through its paces. And that and that that brings a lot to the table. And for me, I mean, part of the reason I asked you guys like to be on the show was. Uh oh, now we lost Brad. Yeah. I wonder if we're still recording. <laughs> it says we're live. <laughs> well, Brad, I've taken over the show. <laughs> I guess not. So maybe maybe his phone died. <laughs> Actually, I should look at it. <laughs> well, we thought it was gonna be you, Jimmy, dropping. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was me. Yeah. Josh, what's your what's your uh, favorite quail species in Arizona to to hunt? To hunt, uh, I I love them all. Um, I, I must say some of the the coolest experiences I've had. Well, geez, I've had them all on all three species. But one thing that came to my mind while we were sitting here talking. All right, we're there, there he is. There he is. We continued on without you, Brett. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. I was I could hear you guys. I couldn't see you guys. I couldn't talk. I have everything through a docking station on my laptop. My wife came downstairs to turn the lights on. I'm already down here, so the lights got turned off, thus killing power to the docking station, but not the laptop. So, like, I run an external mic, external headphones, external – well, not external headphones, but external mic and camera, and all that went dead. And it's still right. dead. Like, you can tell it's a different camera angle now. Like, it's like, <laughs> how do I get back in here as fast as possible? What do I got to do? Like, I can't get it to work. Ah! I'm like, all right, exit the studio, jump back in. I heard you guys talk about your favorite types of quail to hunt. I love it. We're not editing any of them. Josh, continue. <laughs> uh, well, we were just talking about some cool experiences we have. Which which one is my favorite to hunt? I love them all. I have some awesome experiences. But we talked about earlier in the show um, uh, the light coming on. And I remember my, my first Brit, um, her name's Ellie, and I um, – probably three or four different times trying to get her to pick them up because I was told they smell a little bit different than the gambles and the, the scaled. So it's a little bit harder for your dogs to pick up on them. And so I took her down there multiple times. She could not pick them up. And then I went down there with a buddy of mine um, named Dave. And the, that it was one of those instances where the light bulb came on. 
And the GPS caller rang and said she was on point. And I was like, she's probably just sitting there under a tree or whatever. And I get up over this hill and um, I got Ellie from Dave. And so Dave had Ellie's mom. Um, her name was Jenny with, with us on this hunt. And Jenny and Ellie were side by side on the top of this hill, both pointing down in the bottom of this little ravine. And I, I, to this day, I wish I would have just pulled out my phone and took a picture of it because that meant more to me than seeing the quail, you know, sure. rise. But it was the coolest moment to come over that hill and see them both locked up and know that it, she figured it out. She figured out what to look for. So that was really cool. And that was on our Mern's quail hunt. And then just a, a little quick story um, on a scaled quail hunt. Um, it was in tall grass. It's probably up to my waist. So it's a little bit tough to see the dogs. But um, again, I was, I, was, I was watching Ellie and she's, uh, I puts her nose up. She knows where the birds are. And we, I just followed behind her for at least a hundred yards but she was just slowly moving and then she finally comes to a freeze and the, there's a bunch of scaled quail hiding in this tall grass but it's just cool to see her figure that one out as well and to just wind them and know when to move and know when to stop and stuff it was really cool right on. so you're, awesome. you're 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 mostly merns would be probably your favorite favorite one to hunt Merns are scaled. I really think scaled are fun. The scaled quail, it's really open, usually no trees at all. And scalies, when they, when they fly, they usually go up and they catch the wind and they're gone. So you get a brief moment of a shot coming up off the ground, but then you got to learn how to swing that gun real quick because they catch that wind and they're you know, like a bullet. Right. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Jimmy, try your favorite. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I got to hear everyone's favorite. I mean, did I miss, did I miss traces though? Like, or no, I, I, or, no, I jumped in, I got back in fast enough. My 30 second yep. delay. I, it was, yep. Really? I just ran outside for a quick smoke. I mean, that's what <laughs> I'm right. right. <laughs> Yeah. I would say I, I love the gambles quail. I mean, we could have three different answers here, but you know, obviously, but the gambles are, you know, Arizona's, synonymous with the gambles quail you know they're all over the place in the in you know through they're they're around i love the fact that you get when you bust a cubby up you know your dog will be on point you'll get in there and you can bust a you know you'll have that first cubby rise but then as they as you're clearing that area walking through there you get lots you know get singles and doubles popping off it's not just like when you're out there on the prairie hunting a pheasant and that thing blows out and that's your one opportunity Take deal or you know i just love the fact with the gambles when you're cruising through there you can see a whole covey of, of birds get up you might see 15 birds get up and run you know fly over there you watch you mark them where you go you work that area and you'll start your dog will start popping and start hitting and, and pointing on, on singles and doubles and it just gives you a, 
I, I just love the gamble stuff for that purple. So the multi, multiple, you know, chances at that, that Covey. Right. That's what I like. All right. I'm trying to think of my favorite. Gambles are pretty close. Are, I'm We're right in Gambles country, so we don't have to go far. So it's easy to go out there and hunt Gambles. Um, I hunt them most. Uh, but then there's Merns. Merns you got to drive two and a half hours for, right? And I've got an interesting relationship with Merns. I love to hunt them, but I hate hunting them while I'm there. Um <laughs> Because you fall, you get your you get your butt kicked because you're it's tall grass that you're walking in, and there's big rocks that you're just tripping on all the time. The, these birds aren't in easy walking areas. It, it's um, considerable. It'd be close to like chucker hunting on smaller smaller hills. A smaller but scale. It, it's a lot like chucker hunting. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love how I love how merns hold. I mean. They'll hold, and it's great for the dogs. Um, they're not as frustrating, I don't think, um, as far as the running goes, because I, I don't, haven't seen them run. I know some people have said that merns do run on them. I've never seen it. Um, but thought, scalies, scalies are fun. I, I, I don't have a favorite. I love them all, man. <laughs> he, I really says do. That, he says that, but I'll tell you this, Brad. I shot my first merns with, with Trace, not last year, not season, the season before, and he was ecstatic. It was like a dad with his kid at Christmas, man. When I got my first merns, he was so proud of me. And, and, you know, good job, you know. And, and it was awesome, man. So he might have that love-hate relationship, but I'll tell you what. He makes it – he gets down there and you, you can see the passion and the excitement. It's kind of like that duck hunter that loves calling in the ducks and lets you do all the shooting. Sure. He kind of like has that same feel when you're down there with him. But yeah, it was good. I really appreciate that, Trace. Thanks, yeah, for, I, thanks for taking me down there. I think I do get more excited when someone gets their first mines than I do for anything else. Because um, not everyone gets to hunt mines. I mean, people come from all over the world to come to Arizona or New Mexico um, to hunt these birds. So when you put someone on them and they get it, it's to me, it's exciting. Yeah, um, it's Josh put right. me on my first mines. So, I mean, we share it. Yeah. We share that's the experience. Cool. We share the excitement, man. That's awesome. That that's awesome, though. I mean, like you guys are sharing, like you guys are sharing, like with each other, like how to hunt these birds, right? Like every like, like Josh got it on burns. Like you're in like the other country. I mean, it's like that, that's really great. Like you guys can work together and like really focus on because if you're in Burns country and that's what you hunt, hey, I I, I know where they're kind of. I have an idea where we should go, right? Or if you're in scaled country, or if you're in, um, I don't know the other one already. Gambles. Yeah. Gambles. Gambles. Like, it's awesome that you guys kind of work together that way and just like, hey, let's go hunt here. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't tell anybody else, Brad. No, that's all right. I wouldn't either. <laughs> that's a really good spot, man. You know, the blindfold will be clean. We'll show you. Come on down here. We'll, we'll get you some birds. <laughs> and I think we all have our own in our own stash pocket, too. Oh yeah, and you we can't share with each other spots. <laughs> we try. <laughs> yeah, that's like we like when you start like blurring out the background or hiding the background in photos on your own website. You know you got something good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, why can't I really tell where this is? Don't worry about it. It's we that, try and it, pick it. We try and pick and choose which pictures we put up. Yeah, <laughs> Trace will tell me, hey, that's too much of that one mountain range. Don't put that one up there. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful. On, 
you got to be careful on social media, though. You really do on how much you sh- or how much information is actually shown in the pictures you post. Right. Because you can ruin a good spot completely unintentionally by blasting it out there. Yeah. Right. Well, gentlemen, we're right about an hour and a half, so I think we're going to wrap this one up. It's been a great episode. Um, you can reach you at Upland Arizona on Instagram. Um, are you sharing your website, or is that still a private deal? Um, it's not quite up and ready the way you want right. it to be, um, but I will share it on Instagram once we get it going. Perfect. Any personal pages you guys want to shout out? Any sponsors that you that Upland Arizona has, or anything you want to recognize that people that you've helped out, like moved you along in this path? Um, for me, well, Dan Priest has helped me a lot. Um, he's the founder of Q5. Um, K, uh, Arlette and Steve over at K9, Brittany, uh, they breed some amazing dogs, and they help me with training all the time. Um, and they're great people. So I want to thank them. They have helped me a lot. Um, and these two guys, these two guys helped me more than I would ever imagined. So no, absolutely. Yeah. we're just, we're, we're up to, I think we're just, if anybody has a product that they, they, they believe in, shoot us a, shoot us a shot, you know, to let us reach out to us on, on Instagram. And we'd love to, we'd love to try some good stuff. We, we want the best stuff that we can, run for our dogs, with our dogs in the field. Let us know what you got to offer, and we'd love to check it out. And, you Somebody know. please come up with an upland pant that can handle this uh, <laughs> desert needles. Uh, uh, that's the ask, way. everyone. That, that's the ask when, when, when I make this Facebook episode, like not Facebook episode, when I make the like um, thumbnail for this, it's going to be like, we need an upland pant that can handle thorns. Yes. <laughs> or, or cattail. Cactus, that's what yeah. Be. Cactus. Right. We need. We need a cactus. We need a cactus proof pants. That that's what we're looking for. A cactus proof pants. That that's well, what it we're going to be lightweight and breathable and <laughs> right. It's not water, gonna happen. <laughs> waterproof as well for the dew in the morning, right? So you need waterproof, yep. breathable, lightweight, yet enough to like stop a stop a razor blade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. God, God, I want this pant to be able to climb over barbed wire and razor wire fences when I'm done. Yet it's still got to breathe when it's hot out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have to kill a unicorn for that. <laughs> That's, we're going to get NASA in on this. Yep. Well, thanks for so, having us, Brad. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for being on. Stick around for a minute on the back studio here. And then for everyone else, I appreciate you tuning in, and until next time. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But... 
As I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.